You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome everyone to an episode of Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one podcast in all things marketing, advertising, and communications. I'm your host, Ted Lau, podcast host, award-winning agency owner, and full-time family guy. Today, we have Matthew Sang, co-founder of Anne Humanity an integrated, inclusive marketing and communications agency with the core purpose of serving people-first brands that want to leave a legacy of belonging. Although the idea of the agency was first formulated back in 2018 and received tepid feedback, it has now grown into a leading voice for underrepresented communities in the industry with notable clients like Amazon, Arcteryx, Telefilm Canada, ASML, MEC, and more. Over his 15-plus year career in marketing and communications, his work has been recognized internationally, including features in Marketing Magazine, Global American Marketing Association Conference, PR News, and a few others. And Humanity has authored a groundbreaking, first-of-its-kind book on inclusive marketing, featuring certified justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion experts, and are also founding members of the Global Inclusive Marketing Alliance. Outside of his agency work, Matthew does speaking engagements on inclusive marketing, the Asian Canadian experience, and entrepreneurship. He also sits on various boards across Canada. And one thing that makes him the most famous guy on our show is he's my better looking cousin. Better looking? Yeah, buddy. I don't think so. I don't think so. Well, Um, in any case, uh, welcome to the show, Matthew. Thank you. Thank you, Ted. And uh, Ted is my muscular cousin. Muscular. <laughs> muscular. My muscular, my muscular old but young cousin. Oh, gosh. Uh, icon. Okay. Oh, gosh. Um, well, we're going to we're going to try to keep this cash, everybody today, because this is a family member. But hopefully we won't share too much of the family goss on the show. Let's try to keep it a little real. And uh, <laughs> let's tell us tell tell the world, Matthew, about about your origin story, how, how you got here. And it's not just from following in your, your cousin's yeah. footsteps. Exactly. I, I saw Ted's career and I was like, I need that. And then I followed <laughs> the business. <laughs> Actually, it probably wasn't too far off from that. Oh, so um, uh, origin story. So uh, before I talk about Andy Manny, I'll talk about My Let's Speaker Marketing. And Ted, you probably heard some of this story already. So um, and you can verify it probably through family gossip too. But um, we started probably uh uh we as in myself and my sister started our marketing career i'd say about 16 17 years ago maybe 15 i always forget the exact date but i had just graduated uh from ubc with an english literature degree so definitely a lot of job prospects (laughs) so many people that were interested in hiring me i'm just kidding no i had no interesting job prospects and tammy who was at university of toronto my sister um had uh, been running sort of um, a uh, what do you call those like brand ambassador sort of programs at mm. University of Toronto and she was just doing that on the side um, and um, I saw it as like a marketing opportunity business or any sort of job uh, so when she did move back home after university I asked her hey can you you know can we start up that business that you were doing like that marketing business? I knew nothing about marketing and she was really just street teaming you know brand ambassador work She's like, well, I have no clients here, and <laughs> and we have no uh, no real uh, 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 like you know connections here. But she's like, okay, she she saw me as someone that needed help. Uh, so that's kind of how the business started. So our mom, who is an entrepreneur, as you know as well, um, uh, 
gave us one year. So I don't know if you know about this, Ted, but she gave us a one year ultimatum. She said, if you and Tammy don't move out of the basement within one year, you have to go get real jobs. Do you hear about that story? <laughs> no. I, while I uh, don't, I think I might have heard the story, yeah. but uh, I, I wouldn't put it past your mom to have done that. So shout yeah. out to Aunt Man or, or yeah. Auntie Manuela. Auntie for, Manuela, for doing this. yeah. Yeah, so she, she gave us a one-year ultimatum. She And she was an entrepreneur, so you know, as an Asian uh, single mom, only had more rope for us because she was an entrepreneur herself. I'm pretty sure if she was just, you know, working a regular nine to five, she wouldn't have given us the light of day, but she did. Um, so we ended up um, moving out of that um, basement office uh, in six months. It was good news. We got a big contract with the government, um, uh, but we weren't paying ourselves. So for the first four years of our business, actually, we didn't make any uh, money. Um, so I was living off savings that I had worked before because I worked a lot of retail and restaurant jobs before that. Um, and I, uh, uh, I was living in a really sketchy neighborhood and, uh, I used to, I kind of, it was kind of facetiously, but honestly, I ate ham and cheese sandwiches probably every day for a really long time because we just didn't make money. And Tammy actually illegally lived at our first office because she couldn't <laughs> afford a place either. So, rock and roll. I was yeah, just watching, yeah. I was just yeah. watching a Conan O'Brien podcast yeah. with Dave Grohl, you know, obviously everyone knows who he yeah, is, but Dave like you were talking Grohl, about yeah. the Nirvana days and yeah. basically said something very similar. Really? Right? Had enough money to buy cigarettes, slept with, uh, slept on the couch with, with friends on the floor or whatever. And, yeah, eating ham sandwiches or something every well, day. Well, he's yeah. achieved a lot more success than I have from, <laughs> from from that. But yeah, it was uh, it was pretty. Well, at the time, we were so excited. You have that young exuberant mm -hmm. energy, right? Mm -hmm. No kids yet, so you're just kind of like, oh yeah, this is awesome. Um, so she, I don't think she minded living at the office, other than like maybe the separation. And I didn't really mind that much living in a sketchy neighborhood. It was pretty awesome just to like, oh, we own our own business, but we weren't making really any money. So it took a while, like I said, until we ended up making money and and actually like you can say enjoying the fruits of our labor uh, to use an idiom but we were so yeah we were uh, uh i'd fast forward about like nine nine years into the business where we're finally a fully functioning business and um you can say quote unquote legitimate at that time and then tammy when she was in, uh, uh, in parental leave with her first child hudson which you know um uh she came to me with this idea of inclusive marketing because she was like look I have a child now, it's changing everything, or I'm about to have a child. I want to do something uh, different and more meaningful and, and create something that, that is more meaningful um, uh, using you know our skill set. So she pitched to me this idea of inclusive marketing. So I don't know if you know this as well, but Tammy actually used to work before we started the business. She, she not only did brand ambassador work, but she also used to work at the CCDI, the Canadian Center for Diversity and Inclusion. Uh, she had worked there for a bit. So that's where she's certified as a DEI expert and she kind of wanted to merge this idea of DEI with marketing communications which are technically at the time two separate industries so she had this kind of wild idea I liked it because I used to work at uh, uh, or volunteer sorry for a publication that was uh, called schema magazine it was all about Asian representation media the only thing I knew about equity diversity inclusion was that representation matters I wanted to see superheroes that looked like me hockey players that looked like me um, I had none of that really um, growing up and, and that really affected me. So when I was younger, I did like, uh, 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 I had like an Asian casting crew, uh, comedy sketch group that I ran. And I also had an Asian casting crew, like short film production company that I ran. So, you know, it was all about Asian representation media. 
So long story short, she came to me with this idea of uh, inclusive marketing agency. I loved it. Um, we took the idea to Ad Week in New York in uh, around 2018 and uh, 2017, 2018. And yeah, the feedback wasn't really good. They were like, oh, a lot of the biggest brands in the world were saying, you know, we see the moral imperative, but we don't see a business case here. This, the, the, there's no real business case for, you know, merging these two ideas or these industries. So we, we ended up working off the side of our desk, um, running our generalist marketing communications agency uh, for an additional two or so years, uh, two or three years. And then um, come 2020 pandemic hit, we started losing clients every day from our generalist agency, which I know a lot of people did. Um, and we were actually close to calling it quits on you know everything, but we had this idea of, it wasn't called Anne Humanity at the time, but then just inclusive marketing agency. She, she and I kind of looked at it as, okay, this is an opportunity because now we have time. We never had time before. So we ended up launching it in uh, March of 2020. And again, the feedback was pretty tepid. Every, all our clients was worried about COVID and, and everything. So um, uh, we had to take out a big loan to kind of continue uh, working on. So it was kind of like, you know, maybe this isn't going to work, but um, I would kid you not, probably a week after George Floyd was murdered, we started getting a lot of interest in what is equity, diversity, inclusion, and how does this merge with marketing communications? It seems like these thing, two things don't match. So, yeah, that's how it kind of all started, and we started getting more interest, and and um, and now we've kind of built up more of a reputation of of doing this kind of work. Wow, that's quite the story of the ups and downs. And uh, for any of those listening that are aspiring entrepreneurs, be warned. We have warned you a few times on this on this podcast that you want to run your own show. It ain't all roses and sunshine and rainbows. So oh, yeah. there for are ups and downs. <laughs> and it can learn. be quite rewarding. So let's talk about a yeah. bit about the, the rewards of, of the work because not a lot of agency owners can, luckily like us, do things that we feel make an impact. And, and for yourself, it you know, being certified with experts in, in DEI um, and Jedi, Jedi, which is justice, <laughs> equity, diversity, and inclusion, inclusion. Yeah. right? Like, tell us about that. I know you can't get too much into some of the specifics, but the, the reward and rewarding aspect of it and how marketing communications and DEI can live together. Yeah. And I think the initial perception that a lot of people think is that there's a lot of compromise from both. Like if you are um, considering justice, equity, diversity, inclusion, and considering marketing uh, communications and it's, you know, the goals of marketing communications and, and, you know, ROI, et cetera, and, and, and Jedi goals and ROI, like it seems like naturally they would clash, but there's actually a really good synergy if they work together where they amplify each other. And, and that's kind of one of the things that we're trying to, um, spread more awareness of that, that these two actually work together really well and not against each other. Um, and to answer your question about reward, I think a lot of this is honestly um, healing for me. It's reconciling a lot of childhood disappointment. You know about uh, me growing up, but a lot of people don't, but I was obsessed with superheroes. I was obsessed with being a hockey player, like all the things like I wanted to be like a hockey player, superhero, you know, all this stuff. And, uh, but I never saw anyone that looked like me like nobody looked like me um hockey players like the closest was maybe like paul korea and he mm. was not even chinese you know like so there was nobody that really looked at me and representation has proven time and time again statistically that that matters the more you see it the more you believe that um it exists and it can happen 
So maybe in another life, maybe if I was born a hundred years later, maybe I'm a hockey player. No, no, I'm too short. Yeah, I think you have too to grow short, a few weak. inches though. Yeah. You have to grow. Too, too, <laughs> too short, too weak, too, <laughs> I'm not skilled enough. But, um, but the idea behind it is that I think a lot of this is reconciling a lot of my childhood disappointment of wanting to be, um, I am wanting to see myself on screen more. Um, like I said, I was obsessed with superheroes. When I saw Shang-Chi, like, to be honest, I didn't think the movie was amazing, but I was still like so proud to see it. Like it was like it was this weird feeling. It's like oh, finally! Like I know I had nothing to do about it, but it just felt like uh, a huge revelation. And a lot of the work that I did at Schema Magazine, that that publication I volunteered for, was a lot of like people that felt the same way. We were all people of color, um, all uh, East Asian, South Asian, etc. And we were like, oh, I wish more of us were in movies and TV shows and, and stuff. And I was part of that film industry for a bit too, um, with my short film production company. And like, I remember so many, um, I wasn't like an aspiring actor as so as much, but a lot of like really strong aspiring, aspiring actors. I knew were like, I wish I saw myself on screen. I wish I wasn't just, you know, Chinese guy number two, you know, or, you know, like some stereotypic role that I got put into. So yeah, a lot of this is really healing for me and, and, and feels like I have a more of a purpose. So I'm creating something where now I know my daughter, hopefully I'm contributing to a world where my daughter won't feel ashamed to bring her, you know, stinky lunch to, you know, mm. school because, you know, a lot of Asians have that story of like, oh, I brought dumplings and then I got made fun of and, and whatever that. So just creating a world where we can feel like we belong a lot more. And, and that starts with marketing, communications, media, all that. And it's all cyclical, right? You see it represented, you get more familiar with it. It gets repeated in movies and stories and all that stuff. So it's all cyclical. So we're trying to disrupt the cycle that's currently happening now and infuse a little bit more of conclusion uh, and Jedi principles. I mean, that's that's really cool. I mean, the the whole thing of a notion of representation matters. As someone also, you know, Chinese Canadian uh, growing, growing up here, yeah, I, I got the, the stinky lunch stories and, and whatnot. I didn't actually... Maybe I was uh, more naive than than others, but I never the representation piece didn't didn't really uh, resonate with me as much. But when you and I have had our one to ones uh, over the years, when I realized, hey, that actually has an impact, right? For for others, that's when I started getting involved in in other kind of you know Asian type involved uh, marketing associations and those kinds of things, just to like help with others that might feel that way that you felt. So I think that's, that's really important. Now, one thing that I noticed on your LinkedIn is that you have a lot of, a lot of input that you provide, you know, of like feedback insights and whatnot. And it seems like there are a lot of no-nos that uh, we, we should not be doing and some things that we should be doing more of. So maybe let's start with like the, the, the things that you're like, oh man, I wish, I wish folks wouldn't do that. And instead, do this like you know because the listeners here are interested in seeing what what we can all do to be a bit more progressive on the dei front yeah and kind of a you can say a meta answer to that is that there is no like checklist of do this and don't do this and i think the biggest taking a step back from it the biggest don't do is is assume that there is a checklist or not taking a principled approach. So it's kind of like, I use the example of um, when you're learning, um, say a new vocation altogether, mm. you're learning a new vo- vocation. If you're following like a tactical list of like, say you're installing a door 
right or something like that it's like remove the hinges or whatever like that you know put in the new hinges etc that can be quite step by step but if you're learning carpentry in mm. general mm. or if you're learning um you know um general contracting that's not a list right it's principles it's a, it's a set of principles and a set of um uh you can say an ed- the educational pa- uh, path is a lot more complex and that's kind of the same thing when it comes to infusing inclusive uh, uh principles into um uh, marketing communications is that everything is actually principle based and not tactical based meaning um one way that i learn more about inclusion principles and how to and how it's it's constantly evolving as i'm sure you know is that i follow people that don't look like me that have strong opinions but don't look like me that have high intercultural competency etc on instagram linkedin etc because i that's how i can learn because it's complex i wouldn't be able to just learn just by you know reading and researching i need to actually have a better understanding of their point of view from their lived experience so a lot of this work and it kind of you can say kind of makes it more difficult is that it is very principle based with everything um so we do have some principles that we ask people to follow when they're doing it but that allows that that does mean that they it doesn't apply one to one for every single situation if that kind of makes sense and i do want to comment on one thing because i find it interesting that you were kind of saying like after our one to one conversations about you know being part of the asian canadian experience and what that means because you have mentioned before something that i felt very um that resonated with me with me before because i remember you mentioned before that you know i don't i don't feel that i've been discriminated against mm. i don't feel that right um mm. as someone that you know um grew up as an asian canadian etc i felt that for a really long time too that's why i was saying it resonates a lot and what i learned from that is i had internalized a lot of I've internalized a lot of racism in myself, meaning the sense that, um, and there's a list that I, I can find too, but uh, internalized racism comes up in very subtle formats. And one of the things that I really find myself or found myself saying about myself is that I don't like my culture because of this, right? Mm-hmm. I hate that, you know, my, you know, I would make fun of like, um, I don't know, what would I make fun of? I would make fun of, oh, for example, I would make fun of how, um, a lot of my friends who were Chinese were really dorky and like they weren't cool like the white kids or the black kids or mm. whatever like that. Like mm. these are these are things that I internalized in myself at a young age because um, although I had a lot of Chinese friends, the people that were the most popular, the most coolest were usually white kids, black kids and kids that um, just seemed to carry themselves with a sort of confidence that I didn't have. So I always wanted to be with them. So a lot of times I internalized this feeling of oh, I need to be more like them in order for me to be cool. I want a peanut butter and jam sandwich. I don't want dumplings, right? Mm, I actually mm, like mm. peanut butter and jam. You know, all these things that I start to convince myself that I was this. So that was actually so much unlearning, unpacking therapy (laughs) of Mm, like, mm. why did I, why do I feel this way? And, you know, I I still feel it to uh, this day. Sometimes I'm like, I wish I was more like, you know, someone else, I wish I was white, I wish I was this, I wish I was mm. all these things, because it, 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 it's been conditioned in me, right. So, so much of that is unlearning stuff. But anyways, I want to comment on that, because I think that was, like, really important. I think it resonates with a lot of people that don't even realize it's internalized racism. It's just, you know, yeah, something they've overlooked. Yeah, you know what, it, it could yeah. very well be, right? Like yeah. that, that, like I said, 
I'm, and for those of that of you listening that that know a bit about Ted Lau, is is that I'm a little bit on the. Uh, how do I say? Um, I'm a little too self-absorbed, so I have no idea. A lot of times, like they, my my wife and some friends call it Ted-centric, being t- being Ted-centric, and so a lot of the times, like things happen to me, and I have no idea. So like maybe someone's being racist or this and that to me, and I just couldn't give a flying f that like that was happening. Like they, I just I yeah. didn't know. I just you I was too notice. focused. Yeah. Yeah. I was just too focused on my own thing, right? I think there were, there was a kid in grade three that told me to go back to my own country. And I actually was a little confused. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm from, from here. <laughs> I'm from here. What are you talking about? And then I needed a white kid to tell me that the other white kid was being racist. And so like, it, it I think it's, it's ignorance is bliss is a little bit yeah. like that. And, and so yeah. maybe that's why. And I think it, it's helped me a bit too. I remember, um, I can't remember who I was speaking to about talking about, um, being around a boardroom table. And so, you know, yeah. you, you've sat on a bunch of boards. I've sat on a bunch of boards and a lot of the times I sit on the boards, I am the only young and non white person in yeah. the room. And sometimes there's like, still only men in the, like, it's, it's kind of that there's that, there's that, you know, the, the, yeah. the, the stereotype of, of the boardroom table that actually happens. And then it's like, Oh, uh, here's Ted, the, the, people could say that the token Asian, yeah. um, or non-white person at the board table. But for myself, I was like, I don't care. Like the fact that yeah. like I'm different in this situation right now means they're going to listen to me when I open my mouth, That's regardless, great, they're going to yeah. remember what I said. And it, I, I used it as a way to push forward a lot of my thinking and a lot of what mattered to me. And, and having that ability is, I think something that we shouldn't take lightly and go, Oh, they're just, you know, tokenism, this and that. Maybe that is the case, but I don't give a flying shit. Like, you know, like, but like, I really, I really don't care because it gives me a platform regardless. And so, you know, if you're doing that, great. If you're not great, but I'm going to still do my thing. And so that's, I think, but, but back to your point is that like a lot of, a lot of folks don't feel like that. A lot of folks are a little bit more in tune with, you know, they're a bit more aware. I don't around think their you're not in right? tune. That's the thing. You're obviously aware. like this 10 set trick. I haven't heard of that, but I think it's hilarious by the way. <laughs> uh, but I, I haven't heard of that. I, I've always seen you as someone with unbridled confidence. And that is something like people say I have confidence, but like, I think you have confidence of, I don't think it's like what you're saying of like ignorance and you don't care. It's the fact that you are aware of it and it doesn't phase you. That's a different thing because mm. you have the confidence of knowing that I can be the only person in the room and not being nervous about that and seeing the positive spin on that of how, you know, they'll listen to me. It's not that people aren't aware of that when they're in that same position. It's just it becomes sometimes burdensome or mm. becomes sometimes a lot of pressure to mm. perform, to represent for your, mm. you know, for mm. all the Asian, like, a lot of things that maybe someone with your confidence just doesn't have because like ever since i've known you you know with your being like you know confident and you know starting your own business at such a like you you embody a very confident person so like i just don't i think that that's what it's more i don't think it's like you're 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 what do you call it um uh you're not seeing this you're you're very aware you're just it just doesn't phase you and that's it can be seen as a good thing but exactly like you're saying there are many people that are in that mm. same those same positions and they feel like that's really unfair that I'm the only person in the room, not because of anything other than the fact of why is that the case, right? I had a recent stat that I, I posted on LinkedIn that somebody else like found like 
and it, all the numbers were above 90% of 90, more than 90% people on US Congress were white, more than 90% mm-hmm. of sports team were owned by white people, etc. To you, that might be something that's like, oh, like, if you were one of the percentages that were, you know, uh, in that, it's like, oh, great, I've made it. And also, they'll listen to me more so. But a lot of people just see that worldly mm-hmm. as injustice. Mm-hmm. Like, that is not fair and that is not right how did we get here Hmm. and also when you're sitting in that boardroom and i've you know i've been in that yeah like i'm not that nervous being in those boardrooms but i do kind of go like fuck this is not this is not right like it's just Hmm. like i don't deserve to be here more than and all these people definitely don't deserve to be here um Hmm. more than a lot of the colleagues i know uh etc so i think i think yeah your supreme confidence is actually an awesome sort of thing and you can probably use that as a mentorship opportunity for for people who just don't have that and but are put in those positions or are want to be in those positions too right well i have been lucky enough to in my 20 some odd years in in the business now uh had the privilege to to mentor a bunch of budding um agency owners and, and business owners so i think that's I, I love to do that. And yeah, I, I, I do it for free. So if anyone's listening and need a mentor and, and, and need this guy, you know, by all means, give me a buzz, but let's get back to Let's get back to you yeah. and, and, and on the marketing yeah. side of it. So <clears throat> where do you yeah. see this all heading? Right. So yeah. I know this, this is going to sound a little, uh, maybe callous. And you said that way, Hey, murder George Floyd, this happened. And therefore there was a lot of interest and, and yeah, whatnot. Absolutely. And new cycles and people's memories are short. So yeah, how absolutely. do we make sure that this is not a blip on the radar? That this is something that we continue as a society? And I think there are some changes, but the, I feel like the pendulum swings a lot. Like growing up, there yeah, was, uh, you know, Rodney King and all the other, like there, there's back and forth and stuff like that. But how do we keep the the momentum going? Yeah. And, you know, not everyone will like the answer to this, but I think that because I work in the marketing communications industry, because we live in a capitalistic society, until it starts truly affecting bottom lines, um, a lot of the brands won't mm. really mm-hmm. um, a, uh, adapt or innovate. And I use the story of myself growing up uh, in, in the marketing world and being kind of like often the only digital focused agency or understanding the importance of digital. And you went through that too. Like how long did it take for brands to truly embrace digital? Um, I remember how long it took. And Mm. it's like, it was so obvious to me as a, you know, millennial consumer that I was like, why would you not invest? Like, I remember being like, oh, here's the above the line agency and they do all the traditional label. It's like, oh, here's the web agency that will just do this thing. (laughs) It's like, why are we getting so little focus when I know this is not only the future, it's now. It's like now, a lot of times it's now. now. So, and I was kind of that younger millennial consumer and I've done a lot of work with Gen Z in terms of um, talking to them and speaking with them and their views on equity, diversity, inclusion. And I think it's the same thing. The same thing in the sense that they are more politically, um, environmentally, and socially conscious um, than previous generations. Not because the previous generations weren't. It's just, you know, the saying is like you stand on the shoulders of giants, mm-hmm. right? So they're just more progressive when it comes to that. They're more conscious about where they spend their money. They're more critical um, and keep brands more accountable. And yes, they're, it's not fully shifting yet. But the way I see it is that Gen Z, Gen Alpha, and the younger generations, um, how they view brands now, they kind of had that same wrinkled 
I uh, uh, kind of like frowning faces, like, why would they do that? That's so obvious to mm -hmm. not. <laughs> Same thing I thought about digital. They go, why would a brand pretend to, you know, like, you know, support this cause? It's obviously rainbow washing. It's obviously like they can see through the bullshit. So how do you create real systemic change in terms of it? Is that when these these younger consumers start to become the primer consumers, then they go, well, <laughs> well, this isn't going to cut it. Um, and you have to, you know, start, you know, uh, doing things the right way, et cetera. Um, and they're going to start working at these same companies, calling them out. So there's going to be more and more accountability that happens, and it's going to be over a long, long period of time. I know um, some brands are already doing it right and and capitalizing. And you look like at Patagonia, you look at a lot of the things Nike uh, is doing, Doritos is doing. You know, there's mm -hmm. the big brands that are embracing it, and they are capturing the younger generation. But um, and they're not perfect. But and I don't think brands will ever be perfect in that way. But this younger, these younger generations will push for it because they will again use their wallets to make their decisions. And then with that, once leadership from these brands go, oh, you know, things are really hurting, um, then they're going to create real systemic change. I like to, I, am, I think idealistically they would do it out of the moral imperative, but a lot of the times you need the business case beyond the moral imperative for things to really systemically change. And I think that's what happened. Uh, like, look at Hollywood now. Do you think mm. if crazy rich Asians flopped, we would get everything mm. everywhere all mm. at once? Yeah. Not a chance in the world, yeah. right? Not a chance in the world. So you you look at like they they went like crazy rich Asians. Probably like a lot of these movies. I don't know if you you watched that Justin Lin movie way way before. Uh, forgot the name of it, but it was like the only Asian uh, American or Asian Canadian uh, movie. But um, at the time, and it didn't do really well. And then there was like nothing about us for for a long time. But like these these movies and these categories or these these stories that uh, are told were seen as too niche it's like nobody except asian canadians or asian americans want to see crazy rich asians like that's that's what the mentality of these hollywood producers were before and then box office it's, it's like wow it's doing really well white people want to see it black mm -hmm. people like other people want to see it wow okay and then they're going to start investing in it and the irony of this is that it happens in marketing too, in the sense of you'll have the default white centric dominant lens campaign, and then what the what will they do? Right? They'll they'll siphon it or they'll localize it, right? Translate it for you know the Chinese market or the whatever market, etc. But if you tell them to reverse it, these brands, and you go, hey, why don't we make it an indigenous focused campaign, and then localize it? And they're like, no. Indigenous, mm -hmm. <laughs> indigenous people are not our prime. It's like it just the math doesn't math, and the reason why is that we're so conditioned to think the default, the norm is white is right, and it's just easier that way. And I was even conditioned that way. Like for me, seeing Hollywood movies and and not seeing the Brad Pitts and the whatever, and you know, with uh, being like in the primary trailer, like that's weird to me. It's because I've been conditioned that way, right? Mm. Um, uh, but I think that'll change with the younger generation. They're just going to start expecting it and then it'll change. Yeah. That's a good, good point of view. I, I wondered while you're saying this around, cause you're talking about capitalist society and da da da, -da yeah. and bottom line, what about the blowback? Right? So I'm thinking about the Bud Light trans yeah. campaign. I'm yeah. thinking about the target pride t-shirts where there's some dude yeah. that like ended up being like I don't know, doing crazy social videos about this and that and the devil. Blah, blah, blah. How how does that 
how does that play? Because, yeah, you know, I, I think somebody in Target probably thought this was a good idea or Bud Light thinking, hey, this is this. But I think maybe they meant well. And they, I, so I don't know. I, I don't think this no, is. No, great. Yeah, great yeah, question. So tell me, tell me, tell yeah. me what you think, what happened there? What could they have done differently? The, the thing is that the Bud Light campaign in its, in, in its beginning what like and how it was concepted from what i know about it was um the right idea it's the fact that they backpedaled after right so say say i'm saying hey i support you ted and everything that you do and then i go out and i tell the world i support you ted i love ted ted centric you know <laughs> podcast or whatever all right and then, and then some people go i hate Ted, <laughs> like, <laughs> there's a like lot that. out there. There's yeah, a few there's, out there. No, there's no, a few no. out there. Yeah. I shouldn't have used you. <laughs> I, hate Ted. I, uh, I hate Ted or something. And then, and then I go, yeah, actually, I don't, I don't like Ted either. <laughs> like, that's what happened with like uh, nobody likes someone that doesn't stand for something, and that's the thing. They're so reactionary. Bud Light, and I post a lot about this on LinkedIn. Why they failed was not the fact that they supported the trans community. Why they failed was because they didn't truly actually support. The trans community they just wanted okay maybe the cmo did who was mm. really pushing for this mm -hmm. but leadership didn't care mm -hmm. it was for them a performative act mm -hmm. right and when it becomes a performative act for them then obviously when they get some backlash they're going to back down but there actually is a lot of examples where um look at nike with colin kaepernick at the time mm -hmm. right there was mm -hmm. a lot mm -hmm. of backlash for mm -hmm. that they doubled down they said i don't I don't care. Like Nike wasn't going to be like, oh yeah, by the way, we don't care about uh, black people now or whatever. Like, like they didn't say anything. They didn't care. They didn't say like, oh, we don't care about black people. So it's about not sticking to what they said at the beginning. That mm. that was. It's the backpedaling. The backpedaling. The cowardly backpedaling by these brands that are, you know what? And it, it's going to keep happening um, because that has actually given you can say more conservative groups, um, uh, momentum and mm. thinking that we have the ability to change the course of these, uh, brands that are trying to go woke as though being awake is a negative thing mm, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. are trying to be go woke and, 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 you know, um, include other people. How dare them? Do you hear today about, uh, Angel and Bright tape? Like I'm a huge hockey fan. So I yeah. Know. I just, I yeah. just read about yeah. it, but you're, you're more yeah. of the hockey guy. So yeah. why don't you tell the audience yeah. about that one? So the NHL, um, has a lot of uh, has a lot of Europeans, Russians, etc., uh, in it, and there was some uh, backlash when um, all the NHL teams kind of had like um, cause-based jerseys and events around it. So one of the cause uh, causes that they supported um, because their motto was "Hockey is for everyone," right? Mm -hmm. So that includes people from the 2S LGBTQIA plus community, the Rainbow community, and um, uh, but a lot of Russians who claim because of their religion or some other reason or another didn't want to support it and we had they had maybe one or two okay i don't want to say one or two maybe like five to ten uh players last year that didn't want to be a part of it and etc and then recently i'd say two weeks ago they decided to ban all use not only no sorry months ago they decided to ban all 
cause based jerseys to the team. So no more support, no more hockey's for everyone. Um, hockey's only <laughs> hockey's for not for everybody. No, hockey's not for anyone anymore. They didn't outright say that, but that's what they're saying. And then, um, uh, and then a couple weeks ago, they banned the use of pride tape, which is basically rainbow colored tape on the sticks um, to be used during warmups and games and things like that, uh, which was just such a step backwards. Um, and uh, what happened was that just I think the other day or a couple of days ago, uh, one of the uh, one of the NHL players, his name is Travis Dermott, ex Canucks player, um, wore pride tape anyways, even though they had banned it. Uh, he wore it on his stick, or not wore it. He he used it on his stick, and everybody was kind of like, "Oh, is the NHL gonna find him, discipline?" He he put himself up open mm-hmm. for being disciplined, um, but instead today they announced that they rescinded the ban on pride tape. Pride tape. So this, although the end result is. Oh, that's great. We're back to you know at least a lot. It's just you think of the league as a corporate or or, or brand like it is. That just seems so unprofessional. It seems mm. so wishy washy. It seems like you don't stand for anything really. So that's another example. And I think that the problem is that if you are going to outright say for many years hockey is for everyone, you don't do the exact opposite thing when there's pressure, right? Which is what happened with Bud Light. What happened with all these other brands. So. Um, yeah, it's it's if anything, it's a learning lesson. And what I hate is that the headlines from conservative publications are like Bud Light failed because they tried to do you know trans um, I, 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 they tried to promote the trans community in their bar. That's not what happened, right? That's not what happened. It failed because of the backpedaling, not because they tried to be inclusive in their marketing, which is yeah, so so messed up. But it is what it is. But yeah. All right. Okay. So yeah. let's let's end on. Uh, maybe some some positive notes before we, we go into the rapid fire. So, if if I'm a brand, yeah, you know, and maybe I've been around for some time, and I'm a little bit worried, right? I'm a little bit worried that I'm going to get backlash from a particular slant or a group of people, right? On maybe on the more conservative front, or maybe I'm I'm worried that like uh, you know the tokenism. I want to do something, but I don't want to like okay, be 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 seen as, as just doing that suggestions thoughts what well, how do we do this yeah it's it's funny because i've been in this industry so long and i've heard the term brand values and you know brand positioning strategy you know all the things in brand the mm-hmm. things that go into a brand for so long um and really all this is 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 testing if that's true to you right like if you have the brand value of believing you know your brand should be accessible to people with disabilities right or uh, Etc. And that's part written in your brand values, you know, part of your message house, whatever it may be. Um, uh, uh, all this fear that you have in terms of it, not to say it's invalid, right? But to say that um, what you stand for has the ability uh, has the ability for you to change your brand values means that you don't really stand for it at all. So. Yes, there can be backlash, but if what you stand for your brand is truly what you believe, then just get ready for the backlash, right? Get ready for the back and prepare for the response that you're going to have. And if your brand values are anti, you know, uh, rainbow community, anti whatever, you'll get backlash too, just the other, mm-hmm. uh, just the other way. Um, and uh, don't, I'm not supporting that. I'm just saying that, that yeah, yeah, that's what you'll get. And and a lot of these brands who are saying, oh, I'm really worried about the backlash from the conservative community. Do you really want this community that doesn't want to include people that are different to them to be your customers? If that's really what you want, then you've chosen, right? Then you've chosen. 
Um, so I see it as um, short-term pain for long-term gain, right? Like, yes, in the short term, you might get some backlash in people, but if anything, it will only build um, you as a brand that is an ally for this underrepresented community or multiple underrepresented communities and just prove that, you know, this is what you stand for. So, um, yeah. Anyways, yeah. I think that's a really good point. Yeah. You know, I, I heard from a leader or two in the past that just because you don't act doesn't mean you didn't choose. No action yeah. is it's still a choice. choice. Absolutely. And so, uh, yeah, that's great. That's really good insight. We always end our calls or conversations, interviews with rapid fire round just to get to know the, the individual on the other side of the horn and, and see who they are a little bit. So uh, th- these were not uh, tested. There was no pre-call or anything <laughs> like that. It was just more random questions to get to know Matthew here. So you're ready for this? I, I hope so. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> what was the first job you sold? Stuff like you marketed. Oh, the uh, first, are you saying client or are you saying first, like, sorry, first client, See, oh, first, client. Um, first client, what did you sell? What was oh, the first thing you sold? Uh, so we, like I said, uh, we had a long first uh, start. I mean, long start. Um, so we did pro bono work. I think the first one was for, oh, I, I could be wrong. I, talk, I spoke, spoke with them recently. I think it was Simon Fraser University. Yeah, oh, wow. We did some pro, bo- pro bono event-based uh Anyways, I won't go yeah. Right away, got a, got a got a big academic institution. It wasn't like yeah, you it was know, pro bono. It, well, <laughs> hey, it was still a job. It wasn't it wasn't like it wasn't yeah. like Uncle Bob's you know <laughs> Uncle oil Bob change paid, uh, at the time. But I don't blame them. We offered them pro bono because we needed to build up a case study. We had absolutely yeah. no. That's how no, we started too. Uh, yeah, a lot of people backing. started that way. Yeah. Movie that you love. Uh, I know this is rapid Pfizer. I suck. I love so many movies. Um. Uh, I don't want to be boring and say Shawshank Redemption. That's, that, it I think really you said it. I think, good, you, said, I think yeah, you said it already. Good Will Hunting. I'll go with Good Will Hunting. Good Will yeah. Hunting. All right. Uh, yeah. Dark chocolate, milk chocolate. Uh, dark chocolate. Favorite children's book that you're reading to your kid right now? Uh, I Love You to the Moon and Back. You a dog person or a cat person? Dog. Who walks the dog? Me. Best thing you bought under ten bucks. Under ten bucks, um, uh, I once bought a scratch and win. I I think I got five bucks or something like that. All so right. yeah, that, there you go. Yeah. I, I'm sure there's more. I can't think of it. Yeah. Any? What's your favorite dessert? Um, mochi mochi ice cream balls. Yeah. Just like my daughter. Uh, <laughs> last charity you supported financially or with your time, and why? I. Uh, PC cancer. And what's the what's an important thing that you've ever changed your mind about? Mm, this work, in the sense that I remember at the beginning, I said that I feel like um, as much as I'm passionate about uh, equity, diversity, inclusion, I was worried. What was the uh, what was the thing? I felt that. I was so I had so much internalized racism. I didn't even know what to call it, but I I I just felt I wasn't right for um, uh, this thing. Even though I was passionate about the end cause of it, I didn't feel like I felt like without Tammy, this would have never happened because I I just felt like I'm 
uh, a lot of imposter syndrome is like, am I the right person to, to, to do something uh, like this? I care about the end product, but I just feel like I was not ready. There was so much unlearning for me, years and years of therapy work, of, of speaking with DEI experts and stuff like that. So yeah, I think that was the biggest change. Okay. What's the last, what last word here? You know, what, what do you want to share with the audience? Uh, you know what? I'll share that, uh, Ted, you are, um, you are someone that even though it's not said too much in the family, as someone that uh, Tammy and I look up to for a lot of things, um, oh, in, in terms of your, your agency and, and, um, your vulnerability and your ability to bring people together. I think that that's something that I've grown up to appreciate more. Um, and before maybe didn't as much. So yeah, I'd say that. I appreciate that. I thought I was going to just get you to plug a book or something like that. But it's, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we do have a book. We have a book too. Plug but, the book, but, man. Plug the book. Yeah, plug the book. Uh, the book is at our uh, site, andhumanity.co or .ca. Either one works. And then it's just at the top. It says our book. And then you can you can uh, get a copy uh, there. Okay. Well, how can people get a hold of you? Um, through the website uh, uh, or directly via email, Matthew at andhumanity.ca. Uh, that's two T's with Matthew. Okay. All right. Well, thank you everyone for your time. You got an insight, gl- inside glimpse of uh, a little bit of a Ted Lau's, I guess, uh, personal, <laughs> personal life as well. Whether you uh, like it or not. <laughs> well, we're doing, whether you like it or not, that's what we got today. Was it, what they say with my kid when she was in preschool, you get what you get. You don't get upset. So, hey, right. we're, we're here. That's great. And uh, it was another great episode of Marketing News Canada. I'm Ted Lau. This is Matthew Sang. We're signing off and talk to you guys soon. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded at the Jelly Marketing Studio. Thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editor, Travis Jeffers.